Hello, and welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we attack our most pervasive fears with truth, because life is too short for any of us to live enslaved. We would love to connect with you online and on social media. Visit our show notes to learn how to connect with us. I'm Jennifer Slattery, and I know how difficult anxiety can be to deal with. It can feel even more challenging when we feel alone in our fight. Really, when we feel alone in general, we all have a need to be known, to be understood. But the truth is, not everyone will understand us or our struggles, and that's what I want to talk about today. How to handle it when we feel misunderstood in relation to our anxiety specifically. Although I should begin with something of a warning. Those of you who suffer with a strong fear of rejection or social anxiety as a whole are going to find it incredibly challenging to implement many of the steps that I'm going to be suggesting. Now, if that's you, I suggest you commit to prayer more than anything else. Well, actually, I encourage all of us to do that, to make prayer our first and most frequent and most consistent offensive tactic, that we pray against each fear specifically. And when I say specifically, I mean be as specific in your prayers as possible. Even if you don't know at that moment why something bothers you to the extent that it does. The more we invite Jesus to go deep into our hearts and our souls, the more we open up our hearts and our souls to him to and ask him to reveal what is deep within us, those hidden lies, those fears, those hurts that maybe we're not aware of, or maybe we've numbed ourselves to, the more we do that, the more healing and freedom we experience. I also want to say I am not a counselor, so please don't take my words as substitutes for sound mental health advice. I'm really just a ministry leader who engages with and prays for a lot of people with deep struggles, with fears, with anxieties, and I am a woman who's prayerfully invited God into my wounded places as well. And as a result, he's taught me some things that I have personally found super helpful and effective, but he may want to teach you differently based on the unique root of your anxieties and your fears. So seek him first, seek him most and seek him often, and then give him time to speak. He might speak to you right in that moment that you're praying to him, or he may remain silent and just sit with you for a while, but he may reveal his truth maybe a week or maybe even a month later. And he might speak to you directly through a clear, unexpected thought that that you're just certain comes from the Holy Spirit. Or he might use the lyrics of a song, the words of a trusted friend, and a Christ follower to move you closer to freedom. And often, at least with me, he will speak the same thing in numerous places, numerous ways. He, he makes himself clear. That's one thing I love about our Holy Father. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to go back and listen to episode 15 titled The Courage to Fight Against Fear, because in it I share some practical steps that you can take in your own battle, along with why we must remain engaged. Because I've found if I don't actively fight my fears, they only grow worse. And as they do, my world steadily shrinks. But as I engage, as I seek Christ in every moment, as I pray against my fears, and as I pray for the strength and the courage to surrender to him however he leads, he steadily moves me to greater healing and to greater freedom. He steadily moves me into the vibrant, joy-filled, beyond-expectations life that he died to give me. And he died to give you that same life as well. 
I believe if we peeled back the layers to many of our common fears and struggles, I believe 80% or maybe more of them would come from our desire to save face. So most, if not all of us, want to be accepted and respected. We want to know that others get us, that they truly know us, that they love us, that we have value. Those are normal desires that stem from our God-given need for community. The problem is we live in a broken world where even the best of friends and even the most caring family members simply cannot love us as our hearts and souls truly need. They will view us and our actions through their own hurts, through their own deceptions, their own misconceptions, faulty assumptions, and past experiences. And we'll do the same with them. Hopefully, as you and I grow closer in our relationship with Jesus Christ, as we become more engaged in his truth, as we grow in his truth, hopefully our perceptions, our reactions, and our actions will more accurately mirror his. But as we journey through life, we will often feel wounded, judged, rejected, and misunderstood. Many times in those very places we most need support. So what do we do when we find ourselves in that place of needing support that we don't feel we've received and maybe even finding ourselves in a place of of being judged and rejected for something we feel we can't control, like, like perhaps our anxiety? Well, I would suggest we begin with ourselves, with some honest evaluation to uncover what we're really hoping for, what we're really longing for. Why? Do we want others to understand us? Is it because we feel alone and and maybe we want to feel less alone? As some of you might know, in 2011, I became pretty sick. Now, this was the beginning of my journey with chronic illness, and it was also when my OCD really intensified. And at first, I didn't understand what was going on with me physically, why I was so sick. And while the uncertainty, the unknowing of it all triggered my anxiety, it also allowed for a certain measure of hope. I, I Because I thought, well, if I could only figure out this thing, whatever was causing my symptoms, well, then I could eventually overcome each one. When I received my diagnoses, however, first with colitis and then shortly after for fibromyalgia, I felt defeated. I felt sad and alone. And I had a strong desire for people to understand my struggle. Those closest to me, especially, and there were so many reasons for this. But a big part of it was I just, I didn't want to feel so alone. But then one day I realized regardless of how anyone else responded or felt, God understood me deeply. And that was enough. I chose to believe that was enough. The night before Jesus died, he made a powerful statement, the truth of which can provide such, such freedom for all of us. He said in John 16, verse 32, A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Now, he was speaking to his disciples, his closest friends, and he knew they would abandon him in his darkest hour, leaving him to suffer and die alone. And yet, he said, even then, 
I won't be alone because my Father will be with me. And the same is true for us, no matter where we're at, no matter what we experience or struggle with, no matter how others respond to us, we can trust that we are not and never will be alone. We may feel very much alone, and those are valid feelings, but they are not indicative of truth. Scripture promises in Hebrews 13 verse 5 that God will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. And Hebrews 4 verse 15 tells us that Christ understands us and sympathizes with our every struggle. In other words, he is with us always. He knows us deeply and he understands us intimately. And when I feel alone, I intentionally shift my focus off of what I feel like I lack, off of the support I feel I don't have. And on to what I do have in Jesus Christ, his love, his His support, his presence, his grace. I like to remind myself of those things in prayer. So, for example, I might say something like, Lord, right now I am hurting and I feel alone. Or, or maybe I'll say, I feel really anxious. Whatever, I, whatever I'm feeling, I express it. And, and I will express it for as long as I need to, just naming all of my emotions And then I continue and I say, but I know you are with me. I know you love me deeply. I know you won't ever leave me. I know you sympathize with what I'm feeling and I know you will carry me through. So I just remind myself of those things that I know to be true. And sometimes I actually like to pray certain verses. Well, I'll have them written on note cards and and I just recite them in prayer. And then I ask for his help. I say something like, Lord, take away my pain. Soothe my anxiety. Give me your peace. Heal my heart. Fill me with the joy of your presence. Help me to rest deeply in you, in everything that I have in you. And then I ask him to show me what's causing the bulk of my pain or anxiety or whatever emotion I'm feeling. Because I don't always know. And and I want to get better at understanding why I feel the way I do. We often have spent an entire lifetime teaching ourselves not to feel and teaching ourselves to downplay how we feel. So we need to learn to understand ourselves better, and God can help us to do that. So in regard to today's topic, that would involve asking why we long to be understood. So are we seeking validation that our feelings are important, that our struggle is significant? Maybe even that we ourselves, our weaknesses, our failings, our struggles included, are worthwhile. That even in our wounded and our broken states, that we have value. And if that's the case, then that indicates an area we need to heal in. That indicates that the real issue lies somewhere deep within us, that we're seeking validation from people and in places that God never intended. When we need to be working to anchor our identity in Jesus Christ and find our value in Him. Now, I am not saying this is easy, nor am I saying that this internal struggle and hurt isn't real. We all want to know that others think we have worth, and we all tend to place our worth in so many external things, our strengths, our talents, our relationships, and successes. In a culture that often idolizes outward displays of strength and independence, our anxiety can make us feel deficient, weak, incapable, less than. 
But like I said before, our feelings, they tend to lie to us. Scripture says we're chosen, we're loved, adopted, created anew in Jesus Christ, fully empowered by him, called for impact, accepted, strong in him, forgiven, set free on a journey of wholeness, and that we belong to Christ. We are not our emotional struggles. We are not our anxieties. We are not our failures. We are not what anyone else thinks of us or says to us or says about us. And we need to actively, and whenever I say actively, I'm emphasizing our need to take determined, consciously chosen steps. We need to actively reject everything that's false and choose to stand on truth. We are who Christ says we are. Our challenge then, as we grow in truth, as we grow closer to Christ, is to learn to see ourselves as he sees us. Now, this is so important because our failure to do that, our failure to see ourselves and to value ourselves as Christ does, that can cause us to act in all sorts of ugly ways, to to hold tight to offenses, to grow in bitterness, to become more self-defensive, to hide, to connive, to pretend. And that only increases our sense of isolation, our sense of anxiety to become increasingly insecure and isolated, even when we're in a room full of people. Identity drives behavior. When we feel insufficient, when we feel rejected, we begin to see confirmation of that wherever we go. When we know we're dearly loved, however, we begin to act like the precious redeemed men and women that God created us to be. So, Therefore, what if when we feel misunderstood and our insecurities begin to rise up, what if instead of trying to convince everyone else of our worth or even trying to convince ourselves of our worth, what if we worked on building truth into our hearts? What if we read through the book of Ephesians and Psalm 139 again and again and journaled on everything that God said about us? What if we asked him to help us really believe those truths, to sink those truths deep into our hearts. Christ paid much too high a price to make us his for us to ever allow our anxiety to define us. So again, if we're seeking validation, then we need to invite God into those deceived and wounded places within us that have caused us to believe that we're somehow not enough in Jesus Christ. Our desire for others to understand us, it might also come from a need for approval. We might feel like we need to defend ourselves or our actions, maybe defend our boundaries because we're afraid someone will reject us or maybe pressure us to do something we're not comfortable with. I believe apart from anchoring our identity and value in Christ, we also need to anchor ourselves in grace because we all have areas of woundedness, areas of weakness within us, insecurities, pride, past hurts, faulty perceptions, and we are constantly interacting with others who are operating out of sin, out of pride, insecurities, past hurts. And as a result, we all walk away feeling bruised. But that's why Jesus came. He came to heal, to restore, and to grow us, to bring us to a place of ever-increasing beauty, to cover our worst mistakes, our biggest weaknesses, and our most defeating behaviors with His grace. The grace that tells us not only do we not have to reach a certain level in order to receive acceptance— but that we couldn't reach that level, not on our own, even if we tried, no matter how hard we tried. But in Christ, we have received grace upon grace, meaning more than we could ever possibly need. 
And that grace, it places God's stamp of approval upon us. And it also empowers us to live better bit by bit, day by day, as God molds us into his masterpieces, as Ephesians 2 verse 10 puts it, his works of art, like stained glass mosaics. I think many times we understand grace when it comes to salvation, but we sort of forget about it after when it comes to living in Christ. It's like we think we suddenly should have life all figured out, everything together, but that's not reality. At least that's not my reality. I need Christ. I need his grace as much today, maybe more as when I first trusted in him for eternal life. If you struggle living deeply anchored in grace, I encourage you to watch a video presentation on grace. So it's week seven's video for the Becoming His Princess Bible Study. The video in that week's study material will help you consider your behavior and your emotions from a more grace-filled perspective, which in turn can help you recognize where you've slipped into a striving mentality and need to sink deeper into God's grace. And you can find that on Holy Love's website. So that's W-H-O-L-L-Y dot com. Holy Love. So to recap, in discussing this struggle many of us feel when others don't understand our anxiety, I would suggest we begin with ourselves. We Ask God to help us discern why we want others to understand. How much of our struggle stems from a misplaced identity, from failure to understand or recognize our true worth, and and how much of it comes from an incomplete understanding of grace. Now, that said, even the most secure and spiritually and emotionally mature Christ followers need encouragement and support from others. God did not create us to live in isolation. He built within us a deep need for community, an innate drive for interdependency. But not everyone can fill that role, and no one will fill that role completely, and no one will totally understand our anxiety, what it feels like, how fierce it can be, what maybe it has cost us, unless they have experienced those things themselves. For a long time, my husband didn't understand me or my daughter in this area. He's pretty laid back. He's super good at compartmentalizing things. And when he's worried about something, he just grabs the television remote. He turns on his favorite show, and he's able to forget about absolutely everything. And then at bedtime, he has this trick, this weird trick he does with with how he closes his eyes, I don't know, to clear his thoughts, and he can fall asleep just within seconds. And he's never had random bursts of anxiety for no reason. So in other words, he's never had a biochemical cause for his anxious feelings that I know of. Me, on the other hand, I get a a burst of anxiety about once a month on a fairly predictable schedule. And with zero provocation, I've become convinced that it has more to do with my hormones than anything else. I can be completely absorbed in a task and then boom, I'll suddenly experience all of the physiological sensations related to anxiety. That yucky, churning stomach feeling will usually last for about two days and then it disappears as quickly as it came. And for a long time, my husband couldn't understand that. And, and he couldn't understand my daughter's struggles as well with anxiety. And so instead, though, of getting frustrated with him or, or getting angry, instead of choosing to feel rejected, 
instead of choosing to feed thoughts of rejection, we started talking to him. We explained how we were feeling, why when anxiety hit for specific reasons, it was so hard to shift our thoughts. And in his journey to understand, there were times he still misunderstood. There were times when he misjudged our actions. But we kept talking, and he kept listening, and now he does understand. Well, he understands as much as someone who's never really struggled with anxiety can. He understands enough to support us, and that's really all that matters. If you listen to episode two, where my daughter and I talk about her experiences with anxiety and depression, having been raised in the church, then you might remember something she said that really struck me. I think I was apologizing to her for not fully understanding her struggle. And she said, that's okay, because you always treated me like my anxiety and my depression were real. And maybe that's what we're really looking for, for others to understand that this is a real struggle and that it truly is a struggle. So maybe that's where we need to start. And maybe our friends and our loved ones will listen with time. Maybe they will come to understand with time. It's important to realize that mind shifts do take time. Understanding does take time. It took numerous conversations for my husband to understand my daughter and I, and vice versa. It's taken 26 years of marriage and conversations for me to understand my husband. And there are things that I still find hard to grasp. Well, like the fact that he doesn't struggle with anxiety or that he can simply shut his mind off and not think about anything, like nothing. How is that even possible? There's a lot about him I don't understand, but I do understand enough to know his struggles. I understand enough to know that his struggles are real and that he, like all of us, needs support. And and he understands the same about me. Now, consider this as well. When I do demonstrate an inability to understand my husband or the countless other people I interact with in a given week, when I misjudge them, that's a statement on me not on them. That's an area of growth uh, that I need to grow in, in me. I need to learn to view other people's poor responses from that same perspective as, as a growth opportunity for them so that I don't personalize or own their behavior. And, you know, we need to learn to tell our friends and our loved ones exactly what we do need, how they can support us. And when we do that, it's important that we avoid sarcasm and snippy comments or attacking. In fact, if we're feeling deeply hurt, we might need to take some time to pray through that before we broach the subject. Otherwise, we will probably come off as sarcasm and and snippy, and that will only shut the conversation down. We should also ask them what they need from us. So when we're having these conversations, what do they need from us? Because the best relationships involve give and take. And there might be they might have some emotions directly related to our anxiety. Our anxiety might be causing them pain because it might be hindering our love for them as well. So we need to have those open conversations. And if we're the ones who are always taking, who are always needing support, who are always talking about ourselves and our problems, our loved ones will likely get burned out. They'll probably feel devalued, like we don't really care about what's going on with them or or that we feel that their struggles are insignificant. And I also want to emphasize, support does not mean enabling. 
And sometimes that can be super confusing for us and for our loved ones. When someone loves us, they will encourage us to step out, to get help, to expand our world and to grow. If they truly love us, they won't want us to remain stuck. They should nudge us to step out even when we're afraid because if they don't, we might never move forward. But we may and likely will move backwards. Fear and anxiety unchecked tend to grow worse over time until, like I said before, our world steadily shrinks. So if our loved one is strongly encouraging us to see a therapist or to discuss medication options with our doctor, that doesn't mean they don't understand. That means they're trying to act as a loving coach and coaches always see and call out our best. Now, I want to pause. So let's talk about those really annoying, high-intensity, relentless quote-unquote coaches who never let up, who maybe have slipped into nagging. That's not helpful, right? But while their actions might be frustrating, that doesn't mean they're trying to be hurtful, and it doesn't mean that they're necessarily rejecting us. In fact, what we might view as rejection could, in fact, be their intense love on display. They might be pushing us not because they don't like us or because they think that we're insufficient or that that our struggles are insufficient, but maybe it's because they love us so deeply they want the absolute best for us. They might be completely clueless regarding the situation, regarding how to help us, but more than likely they mean well. And while recognizing that doesn't make the pestering any more pleasant, it might help us not take it personal. We also need to recognize that our anxiety could be making our loved ones, our friends feel anxious as well. So I've battled chronic pain for the past 10 or so years, and I've learned this can show on my my face and in my posture. And when my daughter was a teenager and she would sense from my body language that I was in pain, she became anxious, only she didn't verbalize that. She tried to hide her anxiety. She tried to keep it to herself. But it came out through her body language, through her tone, through her comments. And I misread those. And I thought she was annoyed with me. But I didn't have a clue why. I misinterpreted her nonverbal cues. She, What was really going on, she didn't like to see me in pain. She knew there was nothing she could do to help. And her love for me, her feelings of helplessness triggered her anxiety. And her anxiety triggered her body language and her behavior. Not everyone knows how to handle intense emotions in themselves or what they see from others. Many people have been taught not to feel. So this means not only do they not know how to process someone else's anxiety, but they also don't know how to process their own or their sadness or their frustration, whatever emotion or interaction might invoke. Now, this doesn't mean that they're bad or uncaring. It means that they need to experience growth in that area. They need to experience healing before they can give us the support that we need. And if a friend or a loved one's behavior truly is setting us on edge, then we should talk to them about this. Ask them why they pester us as they do. Try to get to the heart level. If they say it's because they love you, then gently explain how their behavior makes you feel. They might realize that their behavior is hurting you and they might begin to take steps to change. And the relationship might be deepened. And if not, so what if the person, if they seem to have no desire to hear what you have to say, no desire to understand or support you, well, then they're probably not someone you should be relying on. They might not have the emotional and spiritual maturity that you need. Now, that doesn't mean you necessarily need to cut them out of your life, but it it probably means that they are not going to be your close confidant 
material. They're not going to be the person that you can really rely on for, for your emotional needs. And when interacting with others, I think sometimes we forget that empathy is learned and love is grown. And those people who simply don't understand, who routinely discount or belittle our feelings, we just need to learn to accept them for who they are, just as we want them to accept us for who we are. But we, we can do that while guarding our hearts, which means that we make sure those in our inner circle deserve to be there, that they've earned our trust, that they've proven themselves reliable. If not, then maybe we recognize that this other person, they're kind of a, a coffee buddy at best, maybe a shopping buddy, but there might not be a whole lot of point in in trying to educate them. They probably won't understand. And in our attempts, we might only end up frustrated and more hurt. Our social media culture can make us think that we need to have 500 besties in order to be okay, but that's just not reality. If we find one super close friend that we can truly rely on who supports us and we support them, that is is golden. And if we haven't found that person yet, I encourage us to pray. Pray and trust God to bring us someone that we can build community with because he doesn't want us to live in isolation. That said, we may need to do some work within ourselves before we can enjoy the depth of relationships that our souls crave. However, I do want to emphasize sometimes those who understand us are not the most qualified to be our support. They may in fact bring us down if they encourage us to remain stagnant in our anxiety. Sometimes they can even talk us out of doing those very things that would lead us towards greater freedom. So we need to be careful who we let influence us because those relationships we engage in, they do influence us in some way. Well, I hope today's episode encouraged you, maybe gave you some things to pray about, some areas that you can intentionally work towards healing in. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast, then you won't miss a single episode. Make sure to rate it. That encourages us and it helps others to find it as well. Until next time, may you live with the courage of one who truly has been set free. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to lifeaudio.com. In a world where relationships are easily broken and often discarded, the Rebuilding Us Marriage Podcast is your lighthouse, guiding the way to hope, restoration, and transformation in Christ. I'm your host and marriage coach, Dana Shea. Join me as we discuss the necessary tools for rebuilding marriages from adversity, betrayal, and disconnection. It's time to reignite love as we rebuild marriages from the ground up. Listen to the Rebuilding Us Marriage podcast on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.